You are listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four volumes, over 2,500-page work of the Venerable Maria of Agreda. If you would like to discuss today's readings, you can head on over to Facebook and find the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast group page, and you'll be able to share your own thoughts and insights with others who are listening and following along. Let us now thank God for the life of Venerable Maria of Agreda. Almighty God, you will that all people know the saving power of Jesus' name. Throughout time, you have sent missionaries to your people who proclaim the good news. We thank you for sending Sor Maria to the Humano people and planting the seeds of the gospel in their heart and in our land. She taught them the good news and prepared them for baptism. We look to her example in holy life and wish to be taught by her today. Sor Maria, teach us how to pray and meditate. Teach us how to imitate the virtues of Our Lady. Teach us the mysteries of our faith. Almighty God, stir a flame in our hearts the same missionary fervor of Sor Maria, so we may be as emboldened as she was to proclaim the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Today is day number 302. And we are reading from Volume 4, Book 7, Chapter 12, Paragraphs 202 to 212. Chapter 12. The persecution of the Church after the death of St. Stephen, the labors of Mary our Queen while it lasted, and her solicitude in urging the Apostles to compose the symbol of the Creed. 202. St. Luke says that on the same day on which St. Stephen was stoned to death, a great persecution arose against the Church in Jerusalem. He mentions especially that Saul devastated it, searching through the whole city for the followers of Christ, in order to seize and denounce them before the magistrates. This he did to many of the believers who were arrested, ill-treated, and killed in the persecution. Although it was very severe on account of the hatred which the princes and priests had conceived against the Christians, and on account of the zealous efforts of Saul and his jealous defense of the law of Moses, of which he himself speaks in the letter of Galatians 1.13. Yet there was another cause for this severity, the effects which they felt, though they knew not its origin. 2.03. This secret cause was the dismay of Lucifer and his demons, who were much disturbed by the death of St. Stephen and began to stir up and excite themselves to diabolical wrath against the faithful, especially against the queen and mistress of the church. The Most Holy Mary, for their greater confusion, the Lord had permitted them to see how the angels had carried her to St. Stephen. From this instance of her extraordinary solicitude and from the constancy and wisdom of St. Stephen, Lucifer concluded that the powerful queen would do the same with other martyrs who were to die for Christ, or, at least, that she would aid and encourage them to despise torments or death and meet such persecutions with invincible courage. In his diabolical astuteness, he had calculated on torments and sorrows as a means of disheartening the faithful and drawing them from following of Christ. For it seemed to him that men love their life so much and are so afraid, especially of violent death and pain, that they would be deterred and fall away from the faith rather than encounter such a fate. On this expectation, the devil continued to set his hopes. Though, through the ages, his own malice deceived him, just as it had deceived him in the first attempt at the death of Christ, the leader of all the saints. 204. But in the first beginning of the church, the dragon found himself quite disturbed and confused in his eagerness to irritate the Jews against St. Stephen. 
When he saw the martyr die so gloriously, he called together his demons and said to them, I am much disturbed by the death of this disciple, and by the favors he has received at the hands of this woman, our enemy. For if she thus succours the other disciples and followers of her son, we shall not be able to overcome or mislead any of them by the threat of torment or death. They will, on the contrary, be animated by mutual example, to suffer and die like their master. Instead of succeeding in destroying them, we ourselves shall be overcome and humbled. For our great torment and the signal triumph which they can bring over us will be their dying for the faith, which we wish to wipe out. We shall ruin ourselves by following this course, yet I do not find any other, nor can I discover the proper mode of fighting against the incarnate God, his mother, and his followers. Is it possible that men who cling so much to life should be so prodigal of it, and being so sensitive in regard to suffering, should deliver themselves up to torments to imitate their master? But nevertheless, my just wrath will not be placated on this account. I will persuade others to give up their lives in support of my fallacies, just as they do it for God. Nor will all men merit the protection of that invincible woman or be so courageous as to undergo such inhuman torments as I shall devise. Let us go and excite the Jews our friends, so that they may destroy this people and blot out from the face of the earth the name of their master. 205. Then Lucifer proceeded to put into execution his accursed designs, and with the innumerable multitudes of the demons he approached the princes and magistrates of the Jews, and all the rabid unbelievers among the people, filling them with ungoverned fury and envy against the followers of Christ, and, by his deceitful suggestions, inflaming them with a false zeal for the law of Moses and the ancient traditions. It was not difficult to sow this cockle in hearts so perfidious and ravaged by sins. They therefore readily embraced the infernal suggestions, Immediately, in many gatherings and conferences, they consulted about putting a sudden end to all the disciples and followers of Christ. Some were for banishing them from Jerusalem, others from Palestine, and still others killing them all so that this sect might be stamped out at once. Some of them, again, were of the opinion that they should be subjected to rigorous torments, so as to deter others from joining, and that they should be immediately disposed of their goods before they should have given all to the apostles. This persecution was so severe, as St. Luke tells us, that the seventy-two disciples fled from Jerusalem, scattering through Judea and Samaria. But at the same time, they began to preach through all the land with unfaltering courage. The apostles, with Mary and many of the faithful, remained in Jerusalem, although they kept under cover and in fear, hiding themselves from the diligent search which Saul instituted for their arrest. 206. The Most Blessed Mary, amid all this trouble, remained watchful, and, first of all, after the death of St. Stephen, ordered his body to be secured and buried. She asked those that attended to this duty to bring her a cross, which St. Stephen had habitually carried with him. He made it an imitation of the one which the lady herself had borne about with her since the coming of the Holy Ghost. In this she was imitated also by the other faithful. She received the cross of St. Stephen with special veneration, not only on its own account, but on the account of having it in possession of the martyr. She called him a saint and requested that as far as could be, all his blood should be gathered and preserved reverently as of a martyr, already glorified. She extolled his holiness and constancy in the presence of the apostles and many of the faithful in order to console and encourage them in their tribulation. 207. 
In order to understand at least, in part, the magnanimity of heart manifested by the queen in this and the other persecutions during the earthly life, it is necessary to have in mind a summary of her gifts which were such that the heart of her man could rely entirely upon her and entrust her with all the works odd extra of his omnipotence. For in her manner of operating, the most blessed Mary transcended all the powers of mere creatures and approached to that of God whose special image she was. No act or thought of man was hidden from her, and she penetrated all the schemes and machinations of the demons. She was ignorant of nothing that was to be done through the Holy Church, Yet through all this in her mind she was not confused in the disposition of so many different matters, nor did she ever mix up one with the other, nor was she ever flurried in their management, nor tired of the difficulties, nor oppressed by their multitude, nor was she forgetful of the more remote on account of the more proximate affairs, nor was her prudence ever deficient because it appeared to be immense and without limit. Hence she attested to all as if she had only one affair, and to each matter as if she had nothing to attend to. Just as the sun, without trouble, without rest, and without intermittence, illumines, vivifies, and warms all without diminution of itself, so our great queen chose, as the son of the church governed, vivified, and encouraged all its children without excluding any of them. 208. When she therefore saw the church disturbed, persecuted, and afflicted by the persecution of the demons and of the men, instigated by them, she turned upon the originators of this evil and imperiously commanded Lucifer and his ministers to descend into hell, and they fell, howling into the abyss without power or resistance. Thus they remained bound and imprisoned for eight entire days until they were again permitted to rise. Thereupon she called the apostles, and with consoling words encouraged them to remain firm and hope for the divine assistance in this tribulation. Strengthened by this exhortation, none of them left Jerusalem. The disciples, who on account of their great number could not conceal themselves properly, took leave of their mother and mistress, and departed from Jerusalem with her benediction. All of them she exhorted and encouraged, admonishing them not to be disheartened on account of persecutions, nor to give up preaching Christ crucified, and they faithfully continued their preaching in Judea, Samaria, and other provinces. In their labors, she comforted and assisted them through her holy angels, inspiring them with courage and bearing them to different localities wherever necessary. The latter, according to St. Luke, happened to Philip on the way to Gaza when he baptized the Ethiopian, the servant of Queen Candace, in order to assist the faithful in the hour of death, she likewise was wont to send her angels, and after death she took care to assist the souls who went to purgatory. 209. The cares and labors of the apostles in this persecution were much greater than those of the other faithful. For as the founders and masters of the church, it behooved them to extend their solicitude to all as well as outside of Jerusalem. Although they were full of the knowledge and of the Holy Ghost, yet the work was so arduous and the opposition so powerful that without the counsel and direction of their mistress, they would have often felt dejected and oppressed. On this account, they frequently consulted her, and she called them to the meetings and conferences which she arranged for transacting the necessary business. For she alone fully understood the present affairs and foresaw clearly those of the future. By her orders, they went forth to attend upon matters whenever necessary outside of Jerusalem, as when St. Peter and St. John went to Samaria on hearing that it had accepted the word of God. 
Acts 8.14. Amid all these occupations of her own and the tribulations of the faithful whom she loved as her children, the great lady retained all the serenity and tranquil peace of her spirit, without falling away in the least point from utmost perfection. 2.10. She so disposed of things that she could frequently retire, for although the exterior actions did not hinder her continued prayer, she reserved many secret and special works for times of solitude. She prostrated herself, humbled herself to the dust, sighed and wept for the salvation of mortals, and bewailed the fall of so many whom she recognized as reprobates. As she held written in her heart the evangelical law and stamped therein the image of the church, she deeply pondered within herself all that concerned it, the trials and tribulations of its members. In her conferences with the Lord and with herself, she sought to dispose and order all its affairs with heavenly knowledge and insight according to the holy will of the Most High. At such times, she would renew her participation with the essence and the perfections of God to capacitate her for such a divine work as the governing of his church. This, therefore, she did without failing in anything and with such a fullness of wisdom and holiness as made her seem more than a mere creature." Though in truth she was one in all her thoughts, she was most exalted in wisdom, she was beyond comparison in counsel, most prudent in her decisions, most equitable and clear-sighted in her works, most holy in her words, true and sincere, in all goodness, lovable. Toward the weak she was most kind, toward the humble, sweet and loving, toward the proud, reserved and majestic. Neither did her own excellence inflate her, nor adversity disturb her, nor labors cast her down in all her activities. She was a faithful copy of her divine son. 2.11 The most prudent mother bore in mind that the disciples, having dispersed to preach the name and faith of Christ the Savior, had as yet no formula or express creed to guide themselves uniformly and without differences, so that all the faithful might believe the one and the same expressed truths. Moreover, she knew that the apostles would soon have to go forth over the whole world in order to spread and establish the church through their preaching, and that it was proper that all should be united in their doctrine, upon which was to be founded all the perfection of a Christian life. Therefore, the most prudent mother of wisdom wished to see all the divine mysteries which the apostles were to preach, and the faithful to believe reduced to a short formula. For if those truths were molded into a few articles, they could more conveniently be brought to the mind of all the whole church, would be united in one belief without any essential difference, and the whole spiritual edifice of the gospel would thus rest and be built upon the same firm columns of one foundation. 2.12. In order to prepare for this work, the importance of which she recognized, she presented her wishes to the Lord, who had inspired them, and for more than forty days she persevered in prayer with fasting, prostrations, and other exercises. Thus, in the same way as it was proper for the giving of the written law, that Moses, as mediator between God and the people, should fast and pray for forty days on Mount Sinai, so also for the new law of grace, Christ our Savior being its author and the mediator between the Eternal Father and men. It was proper that the Most Blessed Mary should mediate between men and her divine Son. The Church was to have this new law written into the hearts reduced to articles of faith, which should never change and never show any deficiency, because they are divine and indefectible truths. One day, while persevering in these petitions, she spoke to the Lord thus, 
Most High Lord and Eternal God, Creator and Ruler of all the universe, in Thy ineffable kindness Thou hast begun the magnificent work of the Holy Church. It is not according to Thy wisdom to leave imperfect any works of Thy divine right hand. Raise then to its high perfection this work, which Thou hast so gloriously commenced. Let not the sins of mortals, O my God, hinder Thee, since the blood and death of Thy and my only begotten outclamor their malice. For they do not call out for vengeance as the blood of Abel, but ask pardon for all that are guilty. Look upon the new children which the blood of Christ has engendered for thee, and upon those who are to be engendered in the church during the future ages. Give, then, thy Holy Spirit to Peter thy vicar, and to the rest of the apostles, in order that they may arrange into a convenient form the truths upon which the church is to be founded, and in order that its children may know what to believe without differences of opinion. This concludes our reading today for day number 302. We've been reading from Volume 4, Book 7, Chapter 12, Paragraphs 202 to 212. In the church, we make use of something called sacramentals. You may carry or wear a sacramental. For example, a rosary is a sacramental. So if you carry a rosary in your pocket, well, then you have a sacramental with you. If you wear a crucifix or a cross... Well, that is a sacramental. Sacramentals are blessed, and to have them with us, there is kind of this assurance that the Lord is with us, that we are protected. Now, I thought it was quite beautiful to hear really about the early sacramentals of this nascent church as it gathers around Mary and St. Peter. That as St. Stephen was martyred, St. Stephen had a sacramental that apparently the early believers made little crosses and they carried them with them. And Our Lady wanted St. Stephen's. She wanted to treasure his sacramental. And we even heard that she wanted the blood of St. Stephen to be wiped up and preserved. So in a sense, this idea of relics, that the church would venerate the blood of St. Stephen... This sacramental of the cross is a great reminder to us that we should have sacramentals in our own life. In the end of our reading today, Mary is praying, and she prays, Give then thy Holy Spirit to Peter thy vicar, and to the rest of the apostles, in order that they may arrange into a convenient form the truths upon which the church is to be founded and in order that its children may know what to believe without differences of opinion. That's one thing that we know, that in the very beginning, as the church was forming, it had to create its doctrine. And now, Our Lady is saying that they may know what to believe without differences of opinion. So the apostles, and we know in the early church through different councils, like the Council of Nicaea, we have the Nicene Creed, formulizes our belief. But here we are today, as Christian believers, and people have broken off from the truth, which is the Catholic faith, they've broken off, and there are differences of opinion. If Our Lady was to pray today, I'm sure she would pray for unity, for conversion of mind, so that we all might once again agree on the doctrine of Christ. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four volumes of the mystical city of God. 
I'm grateful you joined me today, and I hope you'll join me again tomorrow. Until then, may God bless you, and Mary pray for you.